Hello and welcome to Yes, You Are Brave. This is a podcast where we are going to set off on a journey together to find and build our brave, where we explore all the ways that you have been brave and all the ways that you can be brave again. Because even though we may have forgotten or we may have fallen out of practice, we're all brave. And I'm on a mission to prove it and help you believe that yes, you are brave. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Yes, You Are Brave. I am your host, Pawnee, and I am super excited today. We have a guest, my good friend, Melissa Ullman Roberge, who is just an amazing, amazing person. She's a wife, a mom, and a teacher and theater professional who has spent a lifetime being creative, and I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being here, and let's jump right in. So... Tell, tell us just a little bit about who you are and who, who is Melissa? <laughs> um, so I'm originally from the Northeast, Connecticut, but I've been living in North Carolina for the past 30 years. And so that in itself was kind of a courageous thing because my husband and I came down here with no family and no nothing. We just knew that North Carolina was a beautiful state. And at the time in education, um, my husband and I are both artists. I'm a working theater professional um, and a visual artist. And my husband um, has a regular corporate job, but also has been an avocational actor for many, many years. So we knew we wanted an arts rich education for our kids. And we didn't even have any yet. But at the time, North Carolina, in every public school, children had music and visual art, obviously, but they also had dance and theater every week. So, so this would be 30 years ago now, because my oldest daughter is 30. And, um, and so we thought, okay, well, this might be a really great place to start. And the job that he was being offered was a wonderful job. And we were so, um, you know, the cost of living is from Connecticut to North Carolina. We had a lot of money to play with housewise when we came down here. So, um, so we purchased the house. I found out I was pregnant the day we closed on the house. And then I kind of um, <laughs> embarked on this. So um, when my kids were younger, I used to do a lot of art um, just because I did. That's the way I raised them. It's the way I was raised. And so, you know, we played creatively a lot. And I came across um, a woman who was giving these really cool classes in open-ended art down at the art center in Charlotte. So I live north of Charlotte. Um, but you could only take them if you were a preschool, like they were for preschool teachers and they bring their kids and she was teaching the teachers how to strengthen the arts activities and creative activities in their classrooms by basically making them more open-ended. And so um, to kind of frame that, an open-ended activity is one that could keep going. So it's not like a coloring page or a workbook or it's not, um, we're going to glue all of these pieces together and make a square. It's something that a child could keep doing. So like painting, collaging, tearing, coloring, ING words basically. And I just loved what she was doing with really simple materials. And so I said, hey, if I get a group of moms to come, will you sell us a slot like you would sell a preschool a slot? So that's kind of how my entree into sort of um, parent, child, fostering creativity kind of blossomed was through that. So there were six of us, I think. And we would go down once a month and 
you would have class with your child. So it was really great. And then you, you get all the ideas. Like there was always ideas and paperwork to take home. So you could do stuff at home. And so like I learned how to dye pasta with alcohol and paint. And I learned how to make my own Play-Doh that when you take it off the stove and it's warm, it is just bliss to holding your hand. Um, and then I learned that a lot of the things I was already doing were really cool and also very beneficial. So it was very empowering at the same time. Um, so I started an organization, a small nonprofit organization, and we embarked for the next 10 years on offering all different kinds of parent-child activities for, um, for young children, primarily young children, elementary school and down. We did a few things for olders, but it was primarily for, um, and even really, it was really like um, third grade and down was kind of our sweet spot um, and their parents. And so I also got to rub elbows with a lot of parents and children. And so I learned a lot about um, struggles that other parents were having, you know, in raising their kids and choices that they were making. And of course, being a parent in Republican North Carolina, who is so staunchly committed to the arts and access to the arts, that alone, um, I was very often the lone voice. Um, and I had to speak out quite a bit. I became an advocate at the, you know, at the town and the county and the city level to try to find funding to replicate programs like mine and to get better access to just good arts programming, not just, you know, I didn't want like canned stuff. I wanted, you know, I knew, I knew how to foster kids' creativity. And I wanted to teach that because in our school system and as parents, we often really inadvertently, certainly without meaning to, but we squash the creativity a little bit. Um, and so fast forward, you know, 30 years later, that's still pretty much what I do. I'm a theater professional. So I direct plays and I teach theater at the high school level, but every chance I get, I'm talking about how important it is for your child to have unstructured creative time in their life, whether it's mud puddles or painting with, you know, actual paints that could ruin your carpet, you know, that it's really, really important and that you should engage in activities with your kids. Um, and I'm still quite often the lone voice, you know, I have to, there's a lot of misinformation out there. People think that if you study art, you're never going to have a career and you're going to be poor the rest of your life. And, um, you know, they fail to remember that behind Almost everything in our lives is an artist. They forget that every logo is designed by an artist and every packaging, all packaging is designed by an artist in the beginning. So um, every song you hear on TV, you know, commercial jingles and all of that are written, produced and performed by artists. So um, I spend a lot of time, you know, trying to kind of educate in lots of different ways. And most recently I've been really, um, interested in seeing if I can pinpoint the point at which a child is most creative. So like we know, like in preschool, kindergarten, first grade, kids are wildly creative, right? They can do anything. There's no, they yes. don't, they don't care what other people think. And in fact, they usually don't judge each other that much in those, in those grade levels, because they're all kind of thinking the same way. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around third grade, something happens that clicks a switch or, you know, pushes something down and causes kids to be start to become more results oriented. Um, it could be that that's when 
testing, you know, like formal testing kind of starts in third grade, at least in North Carolina. So, you know, parents start to become cognizant. Teachers are like, oh my God, you know, if my child fails the third grade EOC, I'm going to get a big black X on my name. And, um, you know, we do pretty much everything we can do to, to beat everybody down. And so they start to suppress their own creativity and even form negative opinions about other people's creativity based on what's happening to them around. And that continues until sometimes we have, you know, kids that get to high school and they've totally lost sight of who they are. And they're so wrapped up in any choice I make, somebody might tease me, somebody might comment, somebody might judge me. And so they sort of don't make any choices. They make only the safest choice that they can make. And this, I think, is more kids than you would realize. It's a lot of kids. And I think we really saw it in the pandemic, um, how, um, how anxious kids are, how overwhelmed they are, how much they shy away from making choices and really want the teacher just to tell them what to do. Because, you know, when you were remote, it was so much harder for a teacher to tell you what to do because you were opening it on your own and having to decipher written instructions. And so we really found out, wow, lots of kids when given choices just want to know which one you want them to do. Um, and that, that goes on sense. into the, go ahead. I'll say that, that so I can see that I, it's when I was in, even before I, I taught before the pandemic in high schools and kids are just like, well, what's the answer? Like, What's, mm -hmm. how do I get through this as quickly as possible? And yep. even in an elementary setting now, they're just like, well, they just want to fly through their, their stuff. They don't want to take the time and actually do mm -hmm. it and do it well. And yeah, you know, in order to really learn, you have to be intrinsically motivated. And that's, I think what is getting lost for our kids is that intrinsic motivation that in the younger years made them so curious about everything where they would want to mix all the colors to find out what was going to happen. Um, and they yeah. didn't care if it was muddy gray, Yeah, <laughs> or, you know, or they would want to dig and dig and dig until they found 10 worms, you know, and kids have now, they've lost that intrinsic motivation in the favor of results and grades and pressure to get better grades and pressure to take more AP and advanced courses because you've got to get into a good college and you've got to get a scholarship and you have to have a career that's going to make you money and all this stuff that we throw at them, you know. Now, of course, it's not everyone. Um, some kids are able to move through it very confidently, you know. Um, I, I have of my three daughters, I have one that's incredibly confident. I have one who really struggled with anything um, mainstream so she's very creatively confident but just mm -hmm. rails at having to do you know like any kind of academic anything um, yeah. and then I have a third who is very much results oriented and was so concerned about having the right friends and um and her appearance and this and that and it was much more severe than she let me know you know and so um or maybe I just didn't see it I don't know you know um, but on the outside, she was very competent. She's a great student, got A's, you know, had lots of friends, very creative, but on the inside, there was a whole different thing going on and seeked a lot of approval in her work, you know? Um, so she's really, you know, one of 
one of the people that I would like to help, you know, in terms of, I mean, she's not like that anymore. She was able to work through it and is in a much better place now, but at the time, you know, um, you know, and then you put on top of that parents that, you know, are dealing with their own stuff that they probably don't realize that they're dealing with and putting things onto their children and the very strict kind of, well, this is the way I did it. So this is the way you have to do it. Or, you know, I'm, our family is this way, this color, this religion, this class, this is what we believe. And so, you know, don't, we don't want to be near and we don't want to have to let all those other people in with the different colors and the different lifestyles and the different this and that. And all of that gets put onto the child. And, um, you know, it's just, it's frustrating and it's sad. So, so anyway, um, that was a long winded way of telling you who I am. <laughs> awesome. That's fantastic. So you don't have any, you, you moved to New North Carolina with no family around and just. Yep. Nobody here. We have a brother who eventually landed in Atlanta. So okay. he's about four hours from us, but pretty much everybody else is still in Connecticut. So okay. it'll be, they keep saying they're coming down here, but I don't know. That's been 30 years. So I'm so excited to go home this summer to reconnect, particularly with my cousins that are my age that I haven't seen in such a long time. Cause we go for Christmas, but you know, when you're home for a holiday, there's a limited amount of time and there's yeah. so much structure there so I'm really looking forward to just being able to go hang out and well, that's, excited for that that is exciting that's really fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. someday I'm going to get out to North Carolina and see it <laughs> it's a beautiful state it's big but it's a beautiful you know we have the ocean on one side and the beautiful mountains on the other so we've you know yeah and the weather is great down here you know um I mean lots of times I think I'd like to move home back to Connecticut um but you have to deal with the winters then. And um, I don't know if my, I don't know if my two other daughters would go. So you're like, I have two daughters that live near me. And then I have um, one daughter up in New York city, but um, so I don't know. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. So we'll see. Yeah. There's, there's, there's good and bad. I understand the whole winter thing. There's some places I'm like, that's a really pretty place, but they have a really cold winter. So I don't <laughs> think I'm, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. live there. Yep. 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 It would be nice, I think, sometimes, you know, like eventually when I really do retire to be able to maybe spend four months in Connecticut at a time. Maybe I would spend the summers up there when it's very hot here um, and then be down here in the winters when it's very cold up there. So, you know, I mean, we'll get there, but it's been a long time coming. (laughs) Yeah. Do the whole snowbird thing. I think that. Yes. But in reverse, I would would go north instead. Yeah. That's that's totally fair. Um. That's fun. So I'm going to ask a few questions about brave, about your brave, because we're all about sharing brave stories mm-hmm. and things that people have done that are brave. And um, I'm not just thinking when I, I love the big brave stories, but mm-hmm. I also love the little brave stories. So um, either one are totally fine. And if they're, even if they seem silly, I think that that's part of the purpose of the podcast is to try to help people see the brave isn't always big mm-hmm. so very often it's small so with that being kind of that preface um what do you feel like's the bravest thing you've done in the last let's start with six months um that you feel comfortable sharing yeah so I think I would have to say 
I think I would have to say unresigning from my job as a teacher. So <laughs> I was very convinced that I didn't want to teach anymore. And I thought the only way that I would ever leave would be if I just resigned at the beginning of a year. And that would give me a whole year to get used to it. And then I would be done. And about halfway through, I realized that I had really fallen in love with my students again. Um, and that it wasn't that I wanted to stop teaching, it's that I wanted to make sure that I could be in an environment where the work that I do is truly valued and the people that I'm working with are really interested in um, benefiting from, from my creativity and, and what I have to offer um, and that they are excited to be there. And so, um, basically what it meant was scaling back on the professional work that I was doing, because that's a very different thing, you know, um, as a theater maker, um, and I've been a, a director, a professional director for over 30 years now, and I've directed over hundred productions at this point. So I think oh, wow. I can kind of see from a good perspective and I've directed nonprofit and students and very young students and professionally and, you know, corporate and, I think I can say that as much as I love the professional work, where we're at right now is it's costly and nobody, it's difficult to take risks because there's so much writing on it. So there's a lot of pressure to get it right like the first time, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm kind of all about, well, you know, if you try something and it doesn't work, there's nothing that says you can't change it. You know, I always say to my yeah. kids, well, so what do you think you should do there? Like if we're blocking a scene quite often, they're like, should I walk over here? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Should you, what do you think you should do? And sometimes they'll get into these big, well, I think you should go there. Well, I think, and they start, you know, bickering back and forth. And I'm like, Hey, you don't know be great. Would be if you would try it, try it one way and then try it the other way. And I'm fairly confident. One of them is going to feel a little more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, so to have to go into a situation and like nail everything the first time was very stressful for me. So anyway, I called the director of the school. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, have you told anybody? Have you put anything into motion? Because I don't want to leave. I know I know, I have at least a couple more years in me and, and lots to offer. So um, for me, I think that was very brave because in the past, you know, I think Sometimes you make a misstep in your career and then you really can't undo it or you feel like you can't undo it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, I know that we're all exactly where we're meant to be. And so that wasn't really a misstep. It was, might've felt that way, but really that's what brought me here. But yeah. um, to be able to backpedal, that's, you know. So you had actually turned in your resignation at the beginning of the year. Yep. Okay. And then what, and, what point did you just change your mind and, and tell them that you wanted to stay? It was about halfway through the year. We had just finished. It was maybe November, um, okay. December. And at the same time, I was really wrestling with what I would do after. I was kind of like, every time I thought about what I would do after, it was kind of a lot of what I was doing now. Um, and I, so then I'm like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. You know, um, I think... I was feeling like I should be making some big dramatic change, you know, and then, you know, in the end, I think I just realized that I might make a big dramatic change, but until I have a more solid plan, 
I have a lot that I can say in the place that I am. So, um, but yeah, fortunately, I mean, I've been there a long time and she knows me very well. She hadn't really said anything <laughs> to anybody. Um, yeah. So it was okay, but it could have been a real drag, you know? So yeah. anyway, so that's one thing. Um, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That is really brave to go. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to like change your mind all of the, like a million times before you actually like <laughs> tell anybody that you have changed, you know, but that's, that's fantastic to be like, Oh wait, no, like, okay. <laughs> you have to go in there yeah. and eat your words a yeah. little bit. But that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I guess like the runner up, but it's, it's actually a little bit more than six months is after spending a lot of time, um, in a, I guess a rut, but a really big rut where I just wasn't happy with anything. I wasn't happy with my work as a theater person. I wasn't happy with my own creativity. I felt like when I got up in the morning, the last thing I wanted to do was go in and teach or go direct. Every time I had a rehearsal, I was like, oh, you know, um, I felt like I was tired and overwhelmed. I felt like I'd missed a lot of time with my family because of the work that I do, which, you know, it's long hours. And when you're doing show after show, it's long hours, like every, you know, constant long hours. Um, when I would think about my children as little ones, there were gaps in what I could remember, which was frightening to me. Um, and there were some patterns in my life that, that I was starting to recognize as I was kind of analyzing things. And so I guess the next bravest thing I did is I admitted that I needed some help. And I admitted that I needed someone who I could talk to who could help me kind of fish through everything. Um, and reframe and refocus. And that was also something I had never done for myself before. Um, I mean, I don't mind telling you that my, my parents struggled with um, addictions and um, emotional issues, particularly my mother. And so it definitely runs in our family. Um, and she never really got the kind of help she needed and ended up dying quite young. Um, so it was scary to admit that I was not able to fix this on my own, you know, um, but it's really been the best thing that I've ever done, you know, to, to admit that you um, are consistent, you know, like for me, I discovered that I was almost always coming from a place of fear of what people were going to think about me, were they going to see me, were they going to hear me, were they going to remember me if I wasn't standing right there in their face, if I stopped directing shows, is everyone going to forget who I am, or the kids, blah, 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 blah. There was like that whole side. And then there was also, well, if I don't do it, who's going to help these kids, who's going to da, 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 the whole um, empath side that, um, you know, realizes that a big part of what I do when I work with youth in theater is I give them a place where they can come and be vulnerable and make friends and hopefully not be judged and maybe step outside their own little box for a little bit and learn something about themselves and, you know, and feel really good and, and find some um, appreciation and, you know, applause in doing that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was a lot, but I think I'm really making some headway finally. So good. that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I love how you said <clears throat> it was, you know, admitting that you needed 
some help that you couldn't fix it on your own. I think that yeah. that's something we all try mm-hmm. to do. Which we think, oh no, it's fine. I can fix. I I got this. We're mm-hmm. we're very much a culture of I'm I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm mm-hmm. I'll just figure it out on my my own. And and I think that that is. Oh, so brave. I love it. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And, and it is kind of a little thing, like, you know, when you were saying little things and big things, like it is a little, a lot of what's happening are just really subtle shifts in the way I'm looking at things and um, experiencing things. And, you know, it's not, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's very hard because you're having to retrain everything and stop your brain from doing what it's used to doing, you know, but they're very little things, you know? Um, and it's amazing how consistency and a little bit more routine and structure in my life, um, has really helped me have the resiliency that I need to, you know, to go out there every day and potentially, put myself into a situation where somebody might um, not get, not get me or not get what I'm saying, you know, or not get what I have to offer, you know, like you can't, you're not going to ever be able to please everyone. So. Yes, that's so true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's, it's hard to, to accept that of not being able to please everybody and just be realizing that you are important too. I know, especially as an educator, there is very, it's very hard to let go of the fact that you, or accept the fact that you can't save everybody mm-hmm. and that you have to just, sometimes you do have to do what's best for you because like I said before, you realized I needed help and I'm, you started getting those, that help and making those steps. And then you realize, wait a minute, I can still help these other kids. Mm-hmm. It was the way you were, it wasn't what you were doing. It was maybe the way that it was being, you were, you were doing things that, you know, was taking yeah, it was the way I was perceiving what I was doing you know it was the way yes. I was the lens that I was looking through at that time had a lot of gray a lot of brown gray you know muck getting in the way of my being able to enjoy what it was I was doing so yeah, yeah that is awesome I think those are amazing um next question I have is what have you done you know, and these, these brave things that you're doing that would have surprised a younger you, like, what are some like brave things that you think would have surprised a younger you? Um, so, oh gosh, that's hard. Um, maybe, So, okay, so I've been really trying to work on, because for a long time I was kind of stuck in, I have to make the right impression, the right choice, you know, the right whatever. I sometimes would find myself not really listening and not really being present, but thinking about how I was going to have to frame like the next thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I didn't necessarily, wasn't really enjoying or didn't necessarily Um, like being in large crowds or having to talk to a lot of people because it was just a lot except as an actor I was very comfortable getting up in front of people but mainly because they're not going to be talking back you know so I think it would surprise my younger self maybe to see how important it is to listen more than you speak maybe Um, you know because 
a lot of times, like when I made the transition from acting to teaching, I really had to kind of think about that. And I was only partly successful, you know, um, that you have to listen so much more than you speak. And that's hard because listening to someone means then you have to hear, respond, um, try to put yourself in their shoes, um, maybe hear or experience things that are not flattering or comfortable or all hunky-dory all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I've gotten much better, I think, at having conversations, you know, actual conversations with people. That's cool. That's an, that's an interesting answer. I love it. I like mm -hmm. it. It's true. We, we do, when we really listen, it's a lot more work. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you can tell with some people is you're like, you just don't want to do the work of listening to me. That's why you talk. The <laughs> yeah. The other thing I was going to say is that, so I've always been really afraid of heights. Mm -hmm. even as a young person, but uh, several years ago, we went on a trip to Costa Rica and we went on one of those zip line tours mm -hmm. where you actually are zip lining through the rainforest. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> you're up fairly high. I mean, it's not deathly high, but I think if you fell, you could break a limb, you know? And yeah. so for me to have to step off that little tiny platform that you're on <laughs> to actually zip line to the next place where you basically get on another platform and then have to step off it again. Cause it's just like this series of lines that you're zipping down. Yeah. Um, and I actually, after I got through like the first couple, I actually really enjoyed it and loved it. I was able to relax and trust it. It's really pretty what you see as you go, because sometimes it's a steeper pitch and sometimes it's not so much. So you're going at different speeds each time. So, you know, depending on where you're looking, there's so many cool things that you don't get to see when you're on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think my younger self would have never thought that I would have actually done that. <laughs> and I did. So I love it. <laughs> I love seeing that. Yeah. Something's just like, wait, I would have. I, I, am I doing this? Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's when I can't wait to go to Costa Rica. I hear it was mm -hmm. gorgeous. It's beautiful. Love. Very different. Yeah. That's, that's on my list along with most everywhere else, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are some things you've done that were not part of the plan that kind of, you know, mm. that, and, and how did those things, those things feel for you? like some brave things that weren't part of the plan. Cause you know, we all have a plan or we think yeah, we have a plan. Not part of the plan. Yeah. Not part of the plan. Hmm. That's actually quite tough because my schedule for so long has been so packed that there's not a whole lot of room to not be part of the plan. Um, I mean, I will say that in creatively I am very much, um, very often like a by the seat of my pants kind of person. Um, I sort of start with like, this would be my ideal vision or dream for this production. And then I try to get there knowing that you can never really attain hundred percent of your vision, but if you don't try, then you're going to fall really short. And mm -hmm. so I guess there have been some really happy accidents in productions I've done where, um, like, for instance, I directed a production of the musical version of Carrie, which is the movie that we know about, you know, the, the girl with the pig blood on her head, you know, John Travolta and Sissy Spacek. There's mm -hmm. a musical version of it. 
Okay. And it has lots and lots of special effects in it because as you know, she discovers that she um, is able to, she has telepathy. And so I knew nothing about how to do any of that. And um, I didn't really have a technical director who was gonna be working with me that closely, <laughs> but I just figured I would figure it out as I go. And so in the end, um, I had someone who would consult, but he was very busy. So he said, okay, I said, listen, I need like an hour. I'm just going to tell you the things I want to do. And you're going to tell me how to do them. So he said, I can see you at 7am tomorrow morning. So we met at seven and I would say like, the shutters have to close on their own. And he would say, okay, you need bungee cords, black tie line and hooks and eyes. And here's how you do it. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote for an hour. You know, things like the book has to open on its own. The table has to move. The things fly off the walls. Um, uh, you know, all of that. And he was so gracious. And I just, I mean, I just barked questions at him and then wrote them down. And then every day uh, there was one particular parent volunteer who was, you know, pretty good with mechanical stuff. He and I would say after rehearsal and try to get one thing done for the next day. So we were there until like two, three in the morning. It was really, I mean, we were both toast at work, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> so I guess like it wasn't part of the plan that I was going to have to do all those things myself. Um, mm -hmm. But I did. And it's one of the most productions, one of the productions I'm most proud of because we tackled so many different things. And plus it's a, uh, I mean, it's Carrie, but it's really at its heart. It's a play about acceptance and bullying. And um, coming into your own, you know? And so at the same time, it had a lot of great lessons that we were able to work through as a cast. So that's one thing, I guess. Um, I guess you could say that coming to North Carolina was really not part of the plan because, you know, all of my other brothers and sisters all kind of stayed close to home and my, all of my friends all stayed close to home and their families, you know? so. I guess, you know, maybe 30 years ago, it wasn't as usual for families to just pick up and go elsewhere. Um, but again, very glad we did. Um, I, when I was in high school, I took a bus from Connecticut to Estes Park, Colorado with a couple of few other high school students because um, at the time I was involved with an organization that helped um, children with special needs. And there was a national conference in Estes Park, but the only way to get there was on a bus. So we had to get, we had to get on a bus and go there and um, the bus broke down and lots of things happened on that, on the way out and the way back that weren't at all part of the plan. Um, but that was kind of cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I like to ask that question because I feel like sometimes when things don't go according to our plan is when we can really have the chance to step up and do things that are really cool. Like I love when mm -hmm. you, you know, talk about that, the production of Carrie and mm -hmm. all of the things that you're like, okay, I guess we'll just figure it out. And I love that attitude of like, okay, we'll figure it out. Like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, but sure. Let's figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a very brave way of living your life that I think we could all learn from. It's okay. Thank like, you. <laughs> we'll just figure it out. I don't know what I'm doing, but it's fine. We'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. Not yeah. that you didn't know what you were doing. You just didn't know. You're stepping no, out of your didn't comfort know what zone. I was doing. You know, I definitely, you know, I mean, I knew how to construct the play, but had no idea how to make all that stuff happen, you know, so. Yeah. And now you, you, now you know how to do those things. I think that's, 
it's awesome. Um, so last thing I wanted to, last question that I have for you, unless there's any other brave things you want to share. Um, what would you say to a younger you? Like, what would you say, you know, about being brave to a younger mm-hmm. you or somebody that's kind of in a similar situation about being brave? Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? Mm. Um, well, I guess the first thing I'd say is you are enough and you actually are enough and you really are enough. You're absolutely enough. Um, there's nobody that you have to please except yourself. Um, and there's no one that you really have to answer to except yourself. And even in a relationship, like a close relationship, like a marriage, you have to leave time to take care of yourself if you're going to help or take care of anybody else. Um, That's one thing I would say. Um, Trust your gut and your intuition because it knows the way. Um, If something feels uncomfortable, it's okay to leave. Um, You know, like as a female in the arts and in theater in particular, Um, you know, things are changing a little bit, but, you know, there still aren't, there's not very many female directors, there's not very many female producers, whatever. And so sometimes, sometimes we're confronted with a lot of stuff, you know, and um, I used to think that you had to absolutely just keep, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing until, you got everyone to say, you know, and now I've learned that in some cases it's better just to walk away. You know, it's, it's, if, if someone cannot see the fountain of greatness that is you and doesn't want to accept that, then you're hanging around to try to change their mind is maybe not the best use of your energies. It might be better to walk away and go find another place where your fountain is recognized and accepted and where people want to come and get in the fountain with you. And that might mean making a tough decision or walking away from a great opportunity in favor of something much less um, definite, you know, but you should do it. And if you haven't, it's never too late. That's the other thing, I guess. It's never too late. I mean, at, at my age, I'm still remembering that, you know, and um, trying to live more fully and truly for, in, in my own self and not what I think other people think I am or think I should be for other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're trying so to live I'm... for you, live your life for you instead mm-hmm. of what other people, you think other people Yeah. Yeah. And be myself instead of, instead of trying to be what other people, you know, what I think other people think I should be instead just being myself. Um, Because, you know, when you're being yourself, you're, you actually have a whole lot more power. Um, I mean, again, you're not going to please all the people all the time and everyone's not going to always like you, um, but there's always someone who will like you. And so, um, it's, it takes so much energy to be someone who you're not. And when you stop doing that, you realize you have so much energy for so many other things. That was beautifully said. 
it. I love it. You do (laughs) stop trying to be, you know, it does take so much energy to be who you're not. Um, and it's, I don't know. I think so many people that is just trying to be, you know, trying to fit in or what all those things are, they're being somebody that they're not. And that's why they're not happy. That's mm-hmm. why they're not finding what they're looking for is because they're not, they're not listening to themselves and they're not mm-hmm. being themselves. Oh, that was awesome. Um, well, thank you for those. You're That's very welcome. Wonderful words of wisdom. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else you want to, you want to share or anything else about being brave you want to say or? Um. I don't know. I mean, I guess along with being brave, you know, the older I get, the more I realize it's so important to also be kind at the same time. Um, One of my favorite quotes, and it's been attributed to lots of different people, but it's be kind um, for everyone is fighting a hard battle and you never know when that battle will be yours. So I think if we could all remember that in life, you know, the world in general would be a happier place. I think we spend a lot of time trying to be right. Um, and if we would just be kind, um, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, that would be. And try to remember that everyone has struggles, you know, like that, that notion that we all do the best we can in the moment with the information we have on hand or the information that we have attained up to that moment I think is so important to remember because while you're busy judging what someone else has done from your own experience, which is probably not their experience, you know, um, I mean, not only are you sending just a lot of negative energy out into the world, but you know, that swirls around yourself as well. That negative energy kind of stays around you, I believe. And then it brings more negative energy in your direction. And you know, when we can just remember to just be kind, we're not always going to agree with everybody. People are going to do things in a way that you might not agree with. And you might know that it's flat out, whatever, you know, but it's quite often not yours to say. So just be kind. Everybody's fighting a hard battle. Yes. I love that. And it is so true. We are all fighting Mm -hmm. a battle. And Mm -hmm. most of the time we don't get to see what other people's battles are. Mm -hmm. And so I love that. Mm-hmm. Just be kind, be brave enough to yeah. be kind, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, when you think about bravery, I think a lot of people think that bravery does have to be that big, bold bravado, you know, like I'm going to be the one who's going to crash through the doors and I'm going to change the world and make everybody see. And maybe you are, that's fabulous, but that's not always it. Sometimes being brave is being quiet and being still and listening seeing where you can lend a hand, you know, um, hearing someone else's point of view and maybe accepting that it has merit, even if it's not 100% your belief, it still has merit. Um, So, you know, and I guess that's something that I've learned more recently, you know, believe it or not, because I've spent a lot of time kind of stamping my feet and, you must support the arts, you know, and, you know, in the end, when you realize that it's, you know, one person at a time, the impact that you make one person at a time, um, that some total of that is sometimes 
tremendous in a very different way than, you know, when you are, you know, the big star or the spokesperson or whatever, you know, those day-to-day mm-hmm. -day contacts. Um, oh shoot, something else just came into my head and now it flew out again. <laughs> Can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. No, but I think that that is, that is how we change the world. We change mm -hmm. it. That's how we yeah. make big impacts is by making a bunch of little ones, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you smile at that kid who then helps the other kid who then, you know, there's this, yeah. this compounding effect of being from being kind and being um, yep. just a decent person and allowing other people to do the same. I think that, that mm -hmm. is fantastic. Yeah, you know, everybody wants to be seen. And so when you take the time to see somebody, that's sometimes the, the bravest thing and the greatest thing that you can do in any moment, you know, um, is just to see, take the time to see somebody and appreciate them and let them know, you know? So anyway, small yes. acts of kindness. Yes. I love it. Thank you for that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is the end of the questions that I have prepared or whatever. Um, yeah. Thank you for this. Yeah, you're very welcome. You're welcome. I'm, I'm so honored to be you know, to be a part of the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for sharing your, your brave and your wisdom. I appreciate it. Thank you so much again for being here. And if you would like to connect with Melissa, I will have ways to do that in the show notes. Remember that you are brave and you are wonderful. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed what you've heard today, please leave a review down below and share this with anyone that you feel like could use a little more brave in their life. And if you'd like to follow more of my journey to be brave, you can follow me on social media and the link down below. Have a fantastic day and don't forget to be brave.